TikTok, Snapchat, doing blogs, podcasts, Twitch channels, now Clubhouse, everything else you could possibly think of. They're trying to say, look, we can be financially independent. We can be financially free. We can actually make a living at this thing and make a lot of money if we learn how to build an audience and we do it properly. And I just saw a stat the other day, Wall Street Journal was talking about We've had this boom in the United States of new business creation and formation. And a good portion of those jobs are what I'm calling content entrepreneurs. Those are content creators that don't just want to do this for a hobby or not for fun. They actually want to build a long-term sustainable business. Hi, I'm Eric Schwartzman, author of The Digital Pivot, and this is the Earned Media Podcast. My guest today is the godfather of content marketing, Joe Polizzi. He is the best-selling author of Content Inc., Killing Marketing and Epic Content Marketing, which was named a must-read business book by Fortune. He founded four companies, including digital content news site, The Tilt, and the Content Marketing Institute, which he sold in 2016. His podcast series, This Old Marketing, with Robert Rose, who has appeared on the B2B Lead Gen podcast, our other show, has uh, served millions of downloads. Joe, welcome. Eric, thanks for having me. It is more than a pleasure. Finally, we get to talk to each other in person after dancing around this thing. And I'm excited about it because today, we're going to deep dive into influencer and content marketing in three acts. We're going to start with a discussion about what content marketing business has become and how it's changing. Then we'll talk about why the emerging content entrepreneur space is attracting more and more wannabe TikTok millionaires and how social networks are priming the pump and how Bitcoin and NFTs could forever change content marketing. And finally, we'll close with a discussion about the mechanics of getting content marketing done right. Who do you hire? Where can you learn? And what sort of tech tools do you need? This is the Earn Media Podcast, your weekly digital public relations masterclass on content marketing with Joe Polizzi when we come back. Act one. Used to be if you wanted to buy something, you talk to a salesperson. Now you go online, search for information and self-educate. That way you can avoid having to deal with a pushy salesperson and figure things out on your own. But the truth is the keywords you search have already been anticipated by a content marketer who's produced information designed to get found and pull you into an online sales funnel. So you may think you're avoiding the pushy salesperson, but you're still being sold. We're here with the godfather of content marketing, Joe Polizzi, and uh, he has a new podcast called Content Inc., which is a show for content creators who want to become content entrepreneurs. So, Joe, walk us through that transition. Uh, the transition of becoming a content mar uh, marketing expert or, you know, which, what are we talking about? How everything well, you've has got changed? This show, you've got this show that is for content creators who want to be content entrepreneurs. So what is a content a creator? What is a content entrepreneur? And how would a content creator become a content entrepreneur? So basically, I've spent the last 20 years 
you know, talking about content marketing, I started out in media and publishing and, and lucky for that matter, because as I went into marketing, I learned, wow, it really, it really paid off to understand who your audience is and how you can deliver valuable, relevant content. And then when I started Content Marketing Institute, and this was 07, 08, targeted everything on the enterprise marketer. So whatever big enterprise billion dollar business you can think of, they were trying to build audiences and then sell more stuff as they built loyal audiences. And then all the while this is happening, you've got individuals, uh, content creators on, as you mentioned, TikTok, Snapchat, doing blogs, podcasts, Twitch channels, now Clubhouse, everything else you could possibly think of. They're trying to say, look, we can be financially independent. We can be financially free. We can actually make a living at this thing and make a lot of money if we learn how to build an audience and we do it properly. And I just saw a stat the other day, Wall Street Journal was talking about we've had this boom in the United States of new job or new business creation and formation. And a good portion of those jobs are what I'm calling content entrepreneurs. Those are content creators that don't just want to do this for a hobby or not for fun. They actually want to build a long-term sustainable business. So I've gone from enterprise marketers, marketing, content marketing to content entrepreneurs, which are just anybody out there, uh, not a lot of money, but it, there is a discipline to building a loyal audience over time. And then once you build that audience, then you can monetize that audience in many ways. So how does the business of a content entrepreneur differ from uh, an, an enterprise that has a marketing department and is doing content marketing? Well, for the biggest difference is any enterprise that's doing some kind of content marketing, they start with a product or a service that they sell. So if you, you know, if you, if you are HubSpot, you're selling marketing automation or Marketo for that matter, you sell a marketing automation tool. If you are a content entrepreneur, you start not with a product or service. Actually, you don't sell anything. You start by building an audience. So you say, okay, I'm going to attract this audience over here of B2B electronics engineers, and I'm going to target them with a weekly podcast and build an audience over time for that podcast and get them to subscribe to my blog then and email newsletter. And then once I build this loyal audience, then I start to sell them stuff. So it is a completely backwards model from what we're used to is, oh, I'm going to start a company. Oh, let's go out and actually create a product. We don't do that anymore. The, now we're actually going out and saying, okay, let's build that audience. And then once we build that loyal audience, we can sell them whatever we want. So it's completely opposite of what you would think you should do. And how do content entrepreneurs get started? Usually it's a passion or a hobby of some kind. Usually they'll say, you know, you get into... Uh, I'll give you a really good example. It's in actually one of the case studies in, in Content Inc. My good friend, Wally Koval, he wanted to go on a bunch of different trips with his wife and he kept uh, pictures in Instagram of all the places he wanted to go. At the same time, he was a huge Wes Anderson fan. So all the pictures that he posted in Instagram looked like they were out of a Wes Anderson movie. And he just kept doing that over and over. And his friends were like, oh, this is pretty good. Keep this up. We like all these destinations that you're picking. But what Wally found was a problem. There wasn't a lot of detail on all these places. So what he started to do is post these pictures and then put a ton of detail, like where is this place? Why is it significant? Who visits that? He started to, to target all these uh, different hashtags and keywords. And he'd post a picture every day on Instagram. And then he renamed it accidentally Wes Anderson because it started to get traction. He got to about 3,000 followers on Instagram. Vogue magazine finds him. 
Vogue magazine does a whole article on the whole thing of what he's trying to do. Blows up. He's got more than a million followers now. He just, he launched his book called Accidentally Wes, Wes Anderson, which is like a photojournalism book, travel book. He launched that in October, went immediately to the New York Times bestseller list. And now he's monetizing the platform with travel books and travel guides. And he's well on his way to becoming a multimillionaire. So it started with just, hey, I, there's a problem here. There's all these pictures that I'm finding and they don't have enough detail, created the detail, built the audience, now monetizing the platform. You see a lot of that go on. Joe, I remember, um, gosh, years ago, I visited the museum in Cairo. And you walk into this old building, it's an imperialist building, and it's gotta be, I don't know, 20,000 square feet on the first floor. And there's just sarcophaguses, coffins, as far as the eye can see. Like hundreds, maybe thousands of them. And, and you, you stand there and you look at them and you just think, oh my God, how am I possibly going to appreciate any of these? And, and I remember just walking by them and sort of being numb to them, not being impressed by them at all. Mm -hmm. And then I said, you know what? I gotta just, I gotta, I gotta stop and look at one of these things. And I stopped and looked at one. I forced myself to, it was hard because I felt so overwhelmed by all the stuff I would have to look at to feel like I did the museum right. But I look at this one sarcophagus and it was so intricate and beautiful. And I just studied that one and I really appreciated it, you know? But, you know, when, when you think about the internet today, it's so full of content. There's so much out there, but most of it is total crap, That's which true. means most people assume your content is crappy before they even check it out. Right. But getting them to check it out is often the hardest part. So, so how can content marketers with truly worthwhile content cut through the clutter and get people to take the time to actually check their stuff out? There's two reasons for that. And you're right. There's so much clutter out there. There's been too much content since the printing press was created. So we've been inundated for years. But there's two things that most content creators do wrong. First of all, they don't have a content tilt. And I'll talk about what that is in a second. And then the second thing is they don't deliver consistently over a long period of time. Those are the two big issues. And you go to any size company and you will find these two huge problems. So the first thing is the content tilt. Now, what's that? It's you have to find an area of true differentiation where you have to cut through all the clutter. So for example, go and type in cloud computing on Google and you find Salesforce and IBM and Oracle, all have Amazon, all of the same content, talking about the same things. They don't differentiate each other at all. But if you said, no, I wanna talk about cloud computing for plant managers who work in the Pacific Northwest in companies that are 10,000 people or more. I just made that up. I don't even know what if that's a thing. But that's what I'm talking about because as a content creator, I have to say to cut through all that clutter, I have to become the leading informational expert or entertainment provider for a particular niche. So you have to start small. You can always go larger, but you have to start really, really, really small. And most people don't do that. So as I'm, as for example, as I'm going out, I've got a new business called The Tilt. I'm not just saying I'm not going to target, I'm not targeting content creators. Content creators are so broad, how can I cut through all the clutter there? I have to target just content creators who are aspiring to build a business and become financially free from that business over a long period of time. That's what I'm focused on, that's a content entrepreneur. So you really have to figure, and I could say, huh, and then you ask yourself the question, 
if I delivered consistent information to that audience over a long period of time, could I actually become the leading expert in that? And it's a tough question. You gotta, I mean, you have to have a little ego in this and say, if I did the work based on that plan, could I actually be the media company for that industry? And if you get to, I think I can, then you're on to something. Most of the time when I go to do content audits, I'll go and look at some a company's blog or their podcast or their event series. And I'm like, how are you, what are you doing that's any different than your competitors? And they'll always say, this is no different. And actually you can go to their competitor's website and they're doing the exact same thing. And I'm like, it's blah, it's meh. It's not, you're not gonna, you're not doing anything. You'd be better off not doing anything at all. So let's figure out and let's really focus on different audience sectors and figure out what those audience desires are and their pain points, what keeps them up at night, what, what they're challenged with, and let's talk to those challenges over time. And then we'll have something that we can build on. So um, you've got to focus on this, filling this vacuum, right? You got to find the vacuum, fill the vacuum, but it's also got to be good content. So how do you make your content indispensable? Well, you have to really understand the audience's desire. And the first thing that you want to do, any content creator in any size company, they always start with what are the marketing goals? And I get that. You're a marketer. I'm a marketer. We know we need to start with marketing goals. We have to sell stuff. But if you start with your mission statement as we have to sell more widgets and these are the KPIs we have to hit, you'll never make it. Because the first thing that you have to do and focus on is, okay, what are those pain points? And you set up what I would call listening posts. And you talk about this in your influence, you, in your influencer studies that you go through. Where can you put your ear to the ground to really understand what those pain points are? That means using social media, using things like Google Alerts and Google Trends to figure out what's going on. And the most important thing is talk to your readers. Talk to your customers. When I started 20 years ago in sales, they actually made us call readers every week to figure out what the readers liked and didn't like in the magazine, what I used to sell for magazines. We still need to do that. We still may not need that information. If you can't get them on the phone, send them an email, send them a direct message. I don't care what you have to do, but do surveys. Get that kind of information and insight so that you can then take them to the next level and say, I understand their needs so well that... I can create something for them that's missing and be that every day. And when you get that clutter in your email inbox and you're, you see all the spam, there's one or two emails that you really have to open that they're, they're going to help you live a better life or get a better job. That's what we need to strive to be as a content creator. When I think about content marketing, you know, to me, it's very different than the media business. Marketers are creating content in order to get found by people who have a problem they can solve. Whereas in the media business, you're creating content to build an audience that you can then monetize and either sell to generate revenue for yourself or generate opportunities for advertisers. Um, but, but what you're saying is it's sort, of, it's sort of becoming one world, right? Content yes. marketing and the media business are becoming the same thing. It's so insightful that you bring that up. A lot of people don't actually bring that up and get that, that it is the same business model today. I just talked to somebody this morning and I said, uh, if you look at Google versus Cisco systems versus the New York times, if you look at it from a content creation marketing perspective, it's the exact same business model. It's just monetized differently. 
New York Times just New York Times builds an audience and monetizes that mostly through paid subscriptions, but they're starting to sell products and services as well. Cisco Systems, they mostly monetize it by selling more routers, but you know what? They're starting to think about selling sponsorships and subscriptions to their stuff and training. I mean, look at Amazon. Amazon does everything, right? They're actually selling training. They're, Google's creating their new uh, educational certificates. So they're in the education business. It is just all over the place. And nobody realizes that once you create this audience, you can sell them what you would consider your traditional direct revenue, media revenue, uh, sponsorship subscriptions. I can do events. I can do get donations. Uh, I can do paid subscriptions. I can do premium content. That's normally media model. But at the same time, you got the Wall Street Journal selling products. You could also sell consulting services, which a lot of media companies do as well. You might want to create more loyal customers like John Deere has been creating the Furrow Magazine forever. So people more buy more John Deere equipment. It's all the same today. And I just think that as marketers and media uh, companies and media executives, we keep perceiving there's a difference. And there's not. All it is right now is an audience land grab. People are trying to grab audience wherever they can and monetize it. And we don't understand that we're all competing against each other. So, so does that mean, you know, that all content marketers need to be online influencers? Talk to us a little bit about the relationship between the two. Should sure. most content marketers also be online influencers? Is it just a natural fit or is ghosting content also a sustainable business model? I think that if you want to take content marketing seriously, the first thing you figure out is how can I be the influencer in my industry, build an audience over time and do what Aero Electronics has done, Aero Electronics, Electronics Distributor. They are the largest media company in their industry and they're not a media company. They have over 3 million opt-in subscribers to their 53 different publications. So they sell electronics equipment, but they're also a media company with 53 media brands. I don't understand that. Who who is the influencer in the industry? Is it a media company? Is it not? No, it's Aero Electronics. I, they're they're both. So it's interesting that we've gone that direction. Now, can you just do content marketing and say, look, I want to create a white paper for a whole lead gen program, and I want to create this percentage of click through rates and this percentage of, um, you know, get them through the funnel, get them to the salesperson. That's fine. Those are content marketing tactics. There's nothing wrong with those. The majority of companies do that. But the most innovative companies in the world are actually thinking a little bit bigger and saying, wow, uh, I, might not, I might not have to just sell our customers one thing. I could monetize our customers in seven, eight different ways. In, in a good way, because you're delivering amazing value. But at the same time, why can't you sell them different products and services? Why can't you sell them events? Why can't you do what Salesforce did and create you know, a billion dollar plus entity in, in Dreamforce or what HubSpot did with Inbound? You know, I don't think that a lot of marketers are thinking big enough So because we're, we're so focused on we have this thing to sell. And I get it. I've been in that spot. It's like I got to sell more widgets. But if you can just be a little bit more strategic and step back and say, what the heck is going on in our industry? You're going to have some competitor that you've never heard before just go right in front of you selling whatever they want to, because in the last three years, they've just created the most loyal, the most massive, the most radical audience in the industry. And you're looking back and saying, what happened? That's what's, going, that's what's happening right now in most industries. You'll never see it coming if you're not thinking about it. 
multi-million dollar content entrepreneurs, the world of monetization beyond just sponsorships and advertising, and how Bitcoin and NFTs could forever change content marketing with Joe Polizzi after this. Act two, content marketing is about making content designed to get found by people looking for answers to problems you can solve. But influencer marketing, on the other hand, is about working with online personalities who have already built an audience that you want to get in front of. And these personalities or online influencers are content creators who, in some cases, work directly with YouTube and TikTok through their creator programs to earn compensation for creating content exclusive to those platforms. Twitter and LinkedIn are getting into the games too. Joe, you've interviewed so many content creators who have gone on to become multimillionaires. What similarities have you seen in their ascensions? There's a couple key points and this leads right into what you were saying about influencers. The one thing you would think and what a lot of content marketers think is, I have to be everywhere my customers are at online. It's actually not true. What we found out with really successful content marketers and content entrepreneurs is that they focus on one platform and they become great at it. They're the best podcaster in their industry, the best blogger, the best writer, the best event producer, uh, the best uh, Facebook group, whatever it is, best YouTuber, best Twitch streamer, whatever that is, they, they become the best. And they, they don't do everything. And they're like, I'm going to put all my energy into this one place. The second thing they do comes with from the influencer standpoint is they don't focus all their energy on content creation. They actually focus most of their time and energy in the business on content promotion. And a lot of people don't realize this. So, so somebody will ask me, Joe, I want to start a content marketing thing. And if I've got 100% of budget, how much of that should go to content creation versus promotion distribution? And I always say about 25% to creation, about 75% to promotion. Because I always say, what's the use of you creating all this content if nobody's going to engage in it? So part of that promotion plan has to be integrating influencers. And my favorite types of programs are not, you know, let's, what is an influencer in your industry? Is that the media reporter? Is that the media company themselves? Is it a YouTube influencer? Is it a Twitch streamer? First of all, you've got to list all those influencers and you have to figure out, okay, how do I approach them? What am I going to do? What makes the most sense? What a lot of them do for podcasts, they have them on their shows, they interview them. But the best type of thing to figure out is how do I get, how do I help them? So I like the mid-tier influencers. So you don't, you're not picking the, the most popular, the most, uh, the ones with the biggest audience because they're really busy. It's tough to get on their schedule. But if you can get some mid-tier level, ones that would like a little bit of love and they needed a little bit more help with their business, get 10 or 15 of those people and figure out what they need. Do they need more promotion themselves? Do they need uh, relationships with outside sponsors or outside clients, you know, whatever they need. And you can figure it out outgoing and then you can give them that kind of love. Like when I, uh, when I first started Content Marketing Institute, we we're like, well, how do, we don't know anybody. How do we get all these influencers to, to know who we are so they start sharing our content? And we created something called the Top 42 Content Marketing Blogs. And every quarter, we listed the Top 42 Content Marketing Blogs. We hired a researcher to go through. We looked at different criteria 
of quantitative and qualitative feedback to actually link these or uh, list these things together. We put out a press release on it and then we let all 42 of them know. It's like, hey, you made number three on the list. Congratulations. We're linking to your uh, your page and we're putting information. Thank you for doing what you do in content marketing. That was one of the most successful things we've ever done. People shared the press release. They linked themselves back to the page. We got so many links to that. And still today, that page is so popular on Google that you know we'll get 300, 400, 500 people a day. And that was created 12 years ago. So it's those types of programs where you can figure out, look, you can't just ask. I mean, yeah, you can go out and say, yeah, influencer XYZ, I'm gonna pay you some money. And those are, those are valid and you can do that, but I would like to do something more organic. So come up with one plan where you can really involve influencers, get them on, that could be a research report, that could be a blog listing of some kind, could be an awards program, could be a podcast series where you interview them, could be a book of case studies, whatever that might be, focus on those 10 to 15, become their best friend, help them with their jobs. And if you can help them, they'll help you back. Who are some of the content entrepreneurs that you admire most? Oh, shoot. Anne Hanley uh, with Anarchy. She also, also pro, uh, marketing profs. I love John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneurs on Fire. Uh, Brian Clark from Copy Blogger. Rand Fishkin from uh, Spark Toro and Moz are great. Uh, Jeff Gargas and Chad Ostrovsky and Ray over at teachbetter.com. Um, there's just a whole slew of them that I absolutely love. And I will we. It's easy because we just covered up all his case studies in the new content Inc. book, uh, you know, going through. And what I love is almost the similarity between all of them. It took them all about three years to get going. I mean, it doesn't happen right away. It takes about two to three years of con delivering consistent information over time, building that audience. And now almost every one of those I mentioned are multimillionaires. It, but, you know, you have to have that patience and grit to, to keep it going. When you say uh, two to three years to get going, does that mean, uh, you know, really nothing for two to three years or it became big in two to three? Years? It came big, big in two to three years. Like um, with Content Marketing Institute is a really good example because I was personally within six months of quitting altogether and having to go find a real job. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Because it took some time. So it was about 18 months. We built a pretty significant audience, but I wasn't monetizing like I wanted to. Well, this was September of 2009. Well, by May of 2010, everything took off. We started to get sponsors to come in. The subscription rates were just going off the hook. But six months before, I thought I was a failure. The, six, the next six months after that, revenues coming in, subscribers coming in and everything. So generally, it takes between nine and 18 months to build what Brian Clark calls a minimum viable audience that you can actually monetize. Once you get to that nine to 18 month level and you've, and you've started to monetize in one way, then you see diversification. Then you see somebody that has a podcast, maybe do an event. Uh, somebody that has a blog, maybe do a magazine of some kind. So then you see the diversification level. And then once they get to, you know, two, three, four different things, oh, I've got a book, I've got a blog, I've got a podcast, I've got an event series. Then you're talking about a total media platform. By the way, this is for a marketing marketer or an, a content entrepreneur, either one, you could do the same model. And so between three to five years, you've generally got an asset that you can value between two and $5 million.
And then they can make a choice and say, like John Lee Dumas says, I'm not never selling. I've created a lifestyle business. I'm generating two, $3 million a year. I'm totally fine with it. Or you could be like Brian Clark and say, you know what? I'd like to sell off two of my divisions so that I can be set the rest of my life. So then it's up to you. So everyone you mentioned, you know, has been around for a while. Um, how do you see smart content entrepreneurs monetizing audiences these days? People who are just getting into the game. Initially, you pick one. I mean, if you're looking at a YouTuber, it's basically advertising. If you look at Twitch, you're looking at subscriptions, um, you know, and you've got early things on Clubhouse. Uh, on Substack, you've got paid subscriptions. So it really depends on the platform and what type, what you are. So if you are a podcaster, you're probably looking at sponsorship. If you are a writer, you're looking at either sponsorship or paid subscription. So it just kind of depends on which way makes the most sense. And that's what your low hanging fruit revenue driver is. That's just to keep the lights on, Eric. That's all we're trying to do at this point is keep the lights on. Then once we get to that point, then we can start to diversify. So if I'm a YouTuber like, uh, Matthew, Matthew Patrick, who runs a really popular, we've got 13 million subscribers within a channel called Game Theory. He started with just YouTube advertising. Then he went into consulting, started to help other YouTubers, so paid more bills through that. And then he started to sell sponsorships, own sponsorships inside his own videos. So not stuff that YouTube paid him, own sponsorships. And each one of those sponsorships today goes for $40,000. He's making a bunch, <laughs> a bunch of money because he's getting two, three million views on every one of the videos he produces. So that's kind of the, you know, you, you kind of start with step one and then, you know, you keep moving forward. And then it's, there's also products. Brian Clark's a really good example. Copy blogger made it because they were selling search engine optimization products. So that's why I love it is, is that this model isn't just a media model anymore. You can do consulting services, you can do products, you can sell uh, sponsorships, whatever you want to. But it seems to be that three to five year sweet spot where you really start to accelerate and diversify your platform. So, Joe, a lot of people in the content marketing world, particularly in B2B and podcasting, are still focused on advertising and sponsorships as main revenue drivers. But it seems like you're looking past that to things like NFTs and Bitcoin, right? Well, um, it's funny. NFTs are all the rage right now, right? Everybody's talking about a non-fungible token. I, although with a lot of artists in the, the content creators in our community, I think NFTs are a thing. We might be in a little bit of a bubble right now, but as you saw, like the artist Beeple sells for 69 million. You got crypto punks, NFTs that are selling like crazy. That's a different thing than what I think is the potential for content creators. What I like, content creators and content entrepreneurs, I love creator coins or tokens. I think that's where I would start. Basically what a creator coin is, like we have our own creator coin. It's called Tilt Coin. We use rally.io to manage all that. Rally's great. You could also have Roll, which is tryroll.com. There's a number of them out there. Uh, I just happen to prefer Rally. Where you can create your own economy with a currency. And if you think about uh, it could be almost, you could use it like a loyalty system, like airline miles. So you could give out your own coin to your best subscribers. And then what you can do, like we use it for referrals 
for our newsletter. So the more people that refer our newsletter, we give them actual tilt coin, like tilt is traded. You can buy one for six, a token for uh, $6 a share. So it's actually some value. And then what we are going to do is if you get enough tilt coin, you'll get exclusive content opportunities, which we're planning right now. So you'll get to go to certain, if you have a certain amount of tilt coin, you get to go to certain events. If you, in the fall, if you want to pay for our training, you could pay for that out of US dollars, Bitcoin or Tiltcoin, however you want to. And it's all about decentralized finance. I'm a big believer in it. And, and I think a content creator can actually create their own economy, which is what we're trying to do. It's really a thing. We're early, early days. We're all going to make a lot of mistakes in this thing. I don't know where it's going to go. I'm testing it out just like everyone else. But the possibility that we can do that and be with more people being open to Ethereum and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general, it opens up the floodgates for all kinds of different business models. Now, does that mean that if I sell my first blog post as an NFT, a non-fungible token on, let's say, OpenSea, which is like the eBay for NFTs, if I go do that, will somebody actually want to buy the rights and the digital certificate for my first blog post? I don't know, but... It's possible. You're seeing that happen with musicians where musicians are selling fan experiences and cover artwork to, you know, a fan and they're, they're selling it for, you know, thousands of dollars. I don't know. Yeah, where, like, what does I don't that know where mean? it's going to go. I don't know. What does that go. mean, Joe? Like if you sold an, if you sold your book, uh, Content Inc. as an NFT, would that mean you don't have the publishing rights anymore? That's actually a really good question. I, I believe that that per you're selling the you're selling the rights for them to use that and they actually own that it's a, it, however you set up the smart contract and that's all that basically that's what an nft is an nft is a smart contract set up on the uh one of the sub ethereum networks if i'm correct and you can set up that contract to say anything it wants so if you set that contract up and say you actually own the rights to this post and you can use it however you want to you are selling the rights away to that. If you now, were going to sell uh, your book, uh, Content Inc., as, a, as an NFT, and that also included publishing rights, what would you start the bidding at? <laughs> That's a great question. I have no idea what I would do. I probably would not do it at this point. I would rather, you know what I would rather do? I would rather give it away for free I, if I was going to do that. Cause I can't, I can't put a price on that. I literally can't. I would, you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather sell, sh you know, 500 shares at a thousand bucks a piece. And then you could, <laughs> or a or, hundred or bucks a piece and let people share it. But I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what the NFT is going to be going for, for content creators. I think the opportunity is not in non-fungible tokens. I think it's in fungible tokens and that's the creator coins. I think that's so, where the you know, apparently the carbon footprint of uh, uh, Bitcoin is, you know, huge. And Pia, who's in the house, says, uh, given the vast amounts of energy that's used for Bitcoin and NFT, do you see it continuing? I got to think it's just going to get more efficient. I, I got to think that that's a, a handleable problem. Well, first of all, if you read on the sustainability efforts, that's a big issue. And a lot of the miners are very aware of it. And they're trying to go carbon neutral, I think by 2025. 
like everyone's talking about this because there's been a lot in the news about the energy that it's taken up. But what I, when I talked to somebody else about this, I said, yes, you can measure it. You can measure every little bit of energy it takes to mine a Bitcoin and move Ethereum on, on the blockchain because we know it. Well, how much does it cost for us to financially support the U.S. dollar? <laughs> we don't know that. We don't know all the energy it takes, all the buildings, that all the people in the buildings, all of the energy that they're consuming, all the electricity. We don't know any of that. It's the same fine. It's, it's just a different financial system, but you can't measure that. <laughs> That's the difference. And I think people are looking at this and say, oh, my God, look at all this energy. Well, yeah, there's a lot of energy and you can also measure it. So the good thing is there's a lot of smart people trying to work on that. And I don't think long term that's going to be an issue. I really don't. Joe, a lot of social networks are launching creator programs right now. Is creating exclusive content for a social network a sustainable business opportunity for content entrepreneurs? Well, a lot of people won't agree with me on this, Eric, but I don't think it is. I think that you are, uh, you would be considered a gig worker. If you're working for somebody else, if you're basically contract for hire. Uh, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with this. If that's what you want to do, if you want to work for YouTube or Twitch or a publication and you want to create content for them ongoing and they're going to pay you to do it on a certain platform, but you probably aren't building your own audience that you have control over over time. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But for example, YouTube. Let's say you build a million subscribers on YouTube. Whose subscribers are those? They're not yours. They're YouTube's. YouTube's letting you borrow them. Now, can you monetize those in other ways over time? That's the decision you have to make because you're building your, uh, you're building your platform on rented land. What we want to do is move it over to something owned, something more controlled. So I don't have a problem with that, but I would consider more of that a hobby as a gig worker. What I want to do if I'm a content creator, ultimately, I want to build my own platform, my own website, uh, my own email newsletter, uh, my own assets, my own data that I can monetize over time. Because if you don't have access to the data, so just ask yourself this question. If you don't have access to the data and the subscribers, long term, do you have a business that you can monetize? The answer is probably not. You could. I mean, that's why I see a lot of my friends that were really successful at YouTube. They're concerned because YouTube's changing the algorithm. They change the rules all the time. So they're trying to figure out how do I move my subscribers on YouTube over to email subscribers so that I can actually have a direct connection with them. So that's, I am not, by the way, loves the creator programs, love what Twitch and, and Amazon and Google and, and YouTube are doing but you've got to be careful as a content creator where you have to think, okay, if I want to be a content entrepreneur, that means I need to build a sustainable business over a long period of time. Can you do that when you're, this is rude, in the pocket of a YouTube or an Amazon or a Twitch? I, I don't know. Practical answers to building your own tech stack and owning the customer relationship with Joe Polizzi after this. Act three, in the network age, every company is a media company, right? Kind of. But before that, every company is a technology company. Because without the right technology, 
it doesn't matter how good your content is because you need technology to get your content online. And if you're already slammed running a business, how do you get the resources to make that happen? How do you get the resources to create great content? Our guest, Joe Polizzi, has been focused on digital content from the beginning. In fact, he came up with the phrase content marketing when he was in the custom publishing industry. Joe, is content marketing predominantly something small and mid-sized businesses do through Upwork and Fiverr with the help of freelance digital nomads scattered across the globe? Well, those companies are, you know, mar writer marketplaces, uh, production graphic marketplaces. There's nothing wrong with using those if that if that's what you need to do. Where I mean, when I was at Penton Media, I worked in publishing the custom, as you said, the custom publishing department, and we were managing 50, 60 projects on an ongoing basis, and we had 14 full time people. Well, we had another 150 freelancers that we were using. So it depends on what you need to do. Now, what I would, what I'm so strongly opinionated about is you always may have to make sure that the project management, the strategy stays with the company. So let's say that you're going to do a blog. Well, who is ever the managing editor of that blog, who is ever running the ship should be on your staff, should be paid by you. And then everyone, everything else is negotiable. Do you have design expertise inside? Well, if you don't, fine, go ahead and outsource. Do you have all the editorial expertise you need? You, you can go ahead and outsource a lot of that. I Some of the best content creators in the world are freelancers and stringers. And a really good thing to do, especially if you're in the B2B market is, I always use, I still call it today, I call it fleecing the masthead. I said, so if you are in a certain industry and you are creating the same kind of content as a media company, go to that media company's masthead, used to be actually in a print publication. Now you have to go to the about us section online and figure out, who their writers, who their editors are, who their um, ongoing contributors are, and see which content you like. Most of the time, at least half of them don't work for the publication. Especially you look at companies like Forbes, that's absolutely true. They're almost all competitors. So you go ahead and look at them, reach, reach out to them and say, hey, I have this project. Would you like to be on? So you don't have to go to a, a Fiverr or a text broker or something like that if you don't want to. So there's a lot of different options. And I would say whatever makes the most sense. If you have the expertise inside, great. If you don't, go ahead and outsource it. If you don't like to do this, a certain task, absolutely outsource it. If you like to do something and love to do something, keep it inside. So there's a, a lot of different options. Generally, if you look at a content marketing program, at least half of the overall resources are outsourced at some point. 95% of the businesses in the global economy are small businesses. And most small businesses don't have a marketing department, right? It's a small business yep. with a few people who are focused on whatever the core competency of that business is. And now they've got to get into the media business and they've got to get into the technology business too. So in the small business area, how are they? How do you see companies that are getting it right make it happen? Are they outsourcing to the via the gig economy? How how do you do you have a sense of how small businesses are getting it done? They're the first of all, most small businesses aren't doing any kind of content marketing. And when they are, I mean, they might say they are, but what they mean is every once in a while they post on Facebook 
or they post on Twitter or they're, they're creating lots of different content and just sort of plastering it all over more like advertising. Um, I know there's a coffee shop close to us. That's done a great job is every morning they post something witty and interesting on Facebook. It's usually with a picture. Now this is not, I mean, this doesn't take a lot of resources. It just takes time and planning. At eight o'clock every morning, they say, hey, I'm holding the coffee of the day or whatever it is. They do that every morning. And you know what? A lot of people, I think it's hundreds of people that like those posts all the time. That's something very simple that could be done. That's what we're seeing successful small businesses do. They say, okay, look, we don't have a lot of resources. It's just mom and pop shop, you know, whatever we're going to do. What's one thing we can do to create better customers? That's what I would ask a mom and pop business. What can we do? Would that be, is there an email update every Monday or every Monday, Wednesday, Friday that we could send out to our customers that would help them with something? Is it an Instagram post every day that's going to inspire them to whatever? Or let's say you're a restaurant and you're a gluten-free restaurant. Is there maybe a recipe every Wednesday that you can share out and say, here's today's special. Here's the recipe. We'd like to share it with you. You know, what if there's a, there's a roofing company in California uh, in Santa Barbara, California. And he, every day, the CEO puts out a weather report. It's a very folksy weather, weather report. It's like, you know, today I walked out and there was a, uh, there's like, I found a coyote in my backyard and I knew it was going to be a good day or whatever. The weather looks whatever, but has hundreds of thousands of people that look at this report and even the real uh, weather casters from the area quote this guy on occasion. This is the kind of thing we're seeing. So first of all, keep it simple. Second of all, focus on something that you can do that's truly, truly differentiated. Focus on a customer need point. And then, you know, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to be on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Clubhouse, on Facebook. You can just pick one and be great at it and just deliver value for a long period of time. That's how we're seeing small businesses succeed. Joe, I know you and Robert have done a ton of consulting with Enterprise around content marketing. Um, and I would imagine there's a ton of small businesses out there that would love to have somebody like you help them, but they can't afford it and you can't afford it. it just doesn't make sense. So if there is a small business owner or entrepreneur listening to this podcast right now, let's, let's give them a little freebie here. Let's okay. say they hired you to help them hire someone to do their content marketing, you're going to be the guy who's going to hire the person. You're going to be the expert that's going to shortlist the candidates. What questions should they ask a content marketer to try to figure out if they're going to be the right person for them? Well, I, I want somebody that knows the audience. Doesn't have to be necessarily a content marketer. I want, who's the audience we're targeting? Is this your customer base? Is this a new prospect base? I want somebody that knows that audience inside and out. So that's one. Two, are they a good storyteller? First of all, I don't know if we're talking about a project manager or a content creator. Two very, very different things. So if it's a, if it's a project manager, that's a whole different slew of questions and time and can you hit your deadlines and all that kind of stuff. But if you're talking about a content creator, I want audience and I want to make sure that you can actually tell sto stories. It doesn't mean that you have to tell the story, but did you have the vision to create the plan for storytelling? And 
that and that person ends up generally being what I would call a managing editor. The managing editor is probably my favorite position of all all time, because even when you're a writer, you know your writing is never done until the editor gets a hold of it, until you've edited three, four, five times. So you always want somebody to do that. So I would look for somebody. So let's say you're in a business industry of some kind. Go to the business publications in your niche and figure out who those managing editors are. And what's sad, I hate to say this because I have a lot of friends in media. What's sad is a lot of those managing editors don't work full time as we talked about for those companies. You could hire them. They could maybe consult with you. So that's what I would probably look at. But you don't want to do that before you don't want to outsource anything until you understand the business strategy behind it. Why are you doing this in the first place? Okay, we're getting back to a little bit of marketing here. So before we can create that content, why are we even doing this? Why are we talking about it? You know, what are we, if we're by creating an audience, we're thinking about what's our future, we're creating a future customer base or or if we already have a customer base, how are we going to create better yield with those customers in some way or create better customers? And then you get it to, we are going to help them live their lives better in some way. Start, so you start it simple. So anyways, if I'm going to make a recommendation, look at the managing editors, look at really, really good project managers and start with one project. Don't do a thing where, oh, we want to get LinkedIn set up and we want to do Facebook and we want to do the podcast. No, stop. (laughs) Don't do that. Do one thing. Do the one thing, practice the one thing, become great at the one thing, give it six to nine months, and then you can go ahead into something else and, and do something else. Let's talk tools, because for so long, everyone said every company is a media company. But the truth is, every company is also a technology company, because technology plays a huge role in web marketing. So what is sort of the de facto content marketing stack that you need to be competitive today? Well, since if you're using all the social platforms, those are easy. If you're telling me the number one thing for my business and making sure my business runs, it's an email program. I want, and there's lots of really good ones. There's ConvertKit, there's ActiveCampaign, there's uh, MailChimp. Uh, Look at any of those companies. That's what I want because the number one thing of anything I do, whether I create the most magical Facebook page in the world, YouTube subscription page or a LinkedIn destination, the thing that I want most of all is the best email newsletter on the planet. That is the number one thing that I want because that is the, that is an, you're actually creating an asset and you can actually monetize an email newsletter long-term, whether that's for product services, media, whatever the case is. So I would say very simple. If you're a small business, you probably only need an email program. And I know that's hard to say. Now that I'm, I'm assuming you have a website. If you don't have a website, I would look at a WordPress website. And then you can integrate that with your active campaign email or your convert kit email or your MailChimp email. You can go a long, long way with that. Now, when you get more technical, more advanced, you may say, okay, it's time for marketing automation. It's time for the HubSpots, the Marketos, the Eloquas of the world. That's a long, long way off. I know a lot of very large companies that bought marketing automation too quickly and still use only five to 10% of the capability. So- the other tool that I love to use, I love Google Trends. I use it all the time. You use that to figure out what keywords are resonating, what where um, is a listening device that you could use as well. So I want to make sure I'm using that. And then 
uh, we use for our content calendar. There's some really good content calendars out there. If you want something that's more free, look at Trello, T-R-E-L-L-O. And if you want something more sophisticated, I would look at something like a Divi HQ, D-I-V-V-Y-H-Q. But you can get, you've got all kinds of editorial calendars, but one of those two you could look at. So WordPress website, email marketing program, content calendar, you're doing pretty well if you can get that far. You know, you think about the the WordPress site and, um, you know, being able to collect customer information from forms on a WordPress site and move them into the email list. Mm -hmm. You know, even just that can be really complicated for someone who's new to this whole world. And, and I wonder if you have any sort of advice for small businesses that are trying to figure out how to build their own tech stack so they can control their customer list. Uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see small businesses make when they get into uh, sort of trying to build their own stack? Yeah, I think that it's, it's they're trying to do too much too quickly. Um, there's a lot of, and I've seen this a lot in the enterprise space where you get enterprise marketers that say, we've got to have marketing automation. I'm like, do you? I mean, you can do some manual stuff for a little while longer. As long as you're collecting the data, you, you, you're not going to want, you don't need to spend $20,000 a month yet on something like that. You might want to bring it back a little bit. So I would figure out what you really need to do. Um, when I would, I made a recommendation to a small business and this was years ago and they wanted to go and buy everything out there. Oh, I love this. And I love that. And I want that plug in, whatever. And I said, um, is it painful enough? It, it, are you, are you really hurting enough where you have to buy all this stuff? I'm like, no, they're just really cool. I'm like, okay, let's save really cool for later. I said, where does the, where does the pain really hurt right now? And the pain is, we need a better email newsletter system and we need to keep track of that data and we want to make sure who's opening it and who's not and keep that data clean. And then ultimately we can port that into a CRM system. I'm like, all right, great. Now we've got something. Then you're talking about your email and then you're talking about some kind of CRM system. It could ultimately be something like Salesforce, very, very simple tools. That's all he really needed to do. He didn't do anything else. The one thing that I forgot that I really love when we're talking about email is some kind of a referral tool. Uh, we use Sparkloop. So what we can do with our referral tool is if we had an email newsletter, we got the referral at the end and we can keep track of referrals and reward people that refer our email, email newsletter to other people, free marketing again. So I, and I don't want to say I'm anti-tech because I'm definitely not. I've been pretty up on my technology for a long time, but I think it's moving too fast and being feeling left out is, you know, if you got a WordPress website you're working with, you got an email program, you got probably thinking about integration into some kind of CRM system, you got some billing, you're probably good to go. It almost seems like um, if you are a media business or a content marketing business that's about audience, um, you can anchor your stack with an email app, like you said. But if, on the other hand, you're selling something and you've got a sales cycle, you really do need that sales pipeline. So it seems like CRM in that case is going to be the anchor. And, you know, there are yeah. some inexpensive CRMs out there. There's a product uh, called Zoho. There's another Zoho, I've heard good things about. Absolutely. And these are all, you know, small business. I mean, they're still quirky and tough to get going, though. 
Um, you know, technology is fickle. It's tricky. It's hard, uh, which is why most companies take the easiest, shortest path to building an online presence. And it's why you have all these sort of, uh, you know, vertically oriented, uh, you know, homegrown systems that serve specific trades and aren't interoperable. And you have painted yourself into a corner if you get on them, but people wind up on them anyways, just because it's the shortest path to having an mm -hmm. online presence. Um, whereas, you know, as, as I agree with you that, you know, interoperability and best of breed and being able to sort of move different solutions in and out of a stack is really the key to competing online. Because if you go on any of those solutions built for an industry, you don't have an upper hand against your competitor. You have the same tools they do. And you think about like, gosh, I think about the restaurant industry, which just got so pummeled uh, during the lockdown. Yeah. And there was huge growth with Square for Restaurants, which is sort of a closed, you know, stack solution for the small restaurant to accept orders from Grubhub and 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 Postmates and and Uber and be in that world. But then, of course, not only are you paying a commission when you order from Postmates, the restaurant's paying a commission too. So they're effectively, you know, sacrificing a big piece of their profits just to That's be right. on that platform. Whereas, you know. Pizza uh, uh, Domino's, which has their own custom mobile app with a pizza tracker on it. I think they, they did like, I, I did some research on it because I did a keynote for a, a restaurant organization about this. And they did, I think, 70 plus percent of their business on their mobile app in the first quarter right after the pandemic. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, at the same time, small restaurants became effectively digital sharecroppers because they didn't have their own solution. So when it comes to getting your arms around technology, um, you know, I know that you have said in the past you do, you know, you, you try to encourage people to go on an open platform where they can own their own uh, customer relationship. Do you have any advice on, on sort of getting your arms around that if you're a small business, where to start, how to get started? Well, certainly don't do anything homegrown. <laughs> you were mentioning that. I see, that's probably the biggest issue. Somebody with some technical knowledge says, I can create the app, I can create the program. Please, today oh. especially, yeah. <laughs> just, just don't do it. Absolutely don't do it. But again, um, get with your team. I mean, this is not rocket. There's First of all, there's technology today for just about every problem that you have. I don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers today, but figure out, okay, what is the, what is your pain point? What can't you do that you need to do for your customers? Where can you make that seamless? So figure out what those problems are with your executive team. Go ahead and say, okay, uh, we're, we're having a problem tracking from lead through to sales conversion. Okay, great. Well, let's figure out, let's get the CRM system in there that can help that and integrate with whatever email platform you have. Done. Don't overthink it. It's probably, you know, a two hour and a half, two hour meeting. You can knock all these things out and then just make sure you don't do them all at one time. <laughs> just say, okay, we're going to tackle the first two here and we're not going to do anything else until we get those first two done. And then we'll look at it again and see if those next two pop up and we'll tackle those. Joe, thanks so much for sharing your content marketing expertise here. If someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? 
So the new business is The Tilt uh, for content entrepreneurs. You get uh, email newsletter for content creators. That's thetilt.com. And then the new book is Content Inc., content-inc.com, and it comes out May 25th. I'm looking forward to reading it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. For more on how you can earn influence through earned media, get the Digital Pivot audiobook at digitalpivotbook.com.